Hello and welcome to this latest edition of uh, Politics Kingston. Uh, this is a conservative podcast about what's happening around Kingston and London. This week we've got a, a really interesting episode because we're going to meet Afra. Afra Brandreth is the new parliamentary candidate uh, for the Conservatives in Kingston Surbiton, so she'll be fighting the next general election. Um, we're not going to get too deep down with her at this stage, just want to find out who she is, what she's doing and and uh, catch up with where she's going to be working in the new year. Lots to do around Kingston and she's going to be a good a good candidate for the Conservative Party. Um, and also we'll have at the end of it a short roundup with Councillor Rina Bass about things that have happened this week in the council. So let's get started. Afra, welcome to uh, Kingston and um, thanks for joining us. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what, you, what you've done in your life or what you hope to do in your life? Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me here to chat with you today. Uh, yes, I'd love to give you a bit of a background on, on myself and uh, my work career thus far. I'm actually currently a Conservative councillor, which is really fantastic and exciting job and a real way to feel like you're making a difference. I, I came through that path by starting off my career as an economic advisor in the government. I spent 10 years working in DEFRA and I have a master's in environmental and resource economics. And that was a really fascinating way to see how politics works and policy is developed from within Westminster and Whitehall. I then moved on to set up a small animal veterinary business with my husband, Ian, so I've had experience with running a small business and I understand the challenges faced by small business owners and also the great rewards and opportunities and fun that it can be. So what, what did you do in government? What, what, I mean, was an economic, what's that again, economic advisor to something rather <laughs> environmental... Oh, this is the joy of being an economist, oh, is right. you can use uh, difficult terms and everybody just nods and agrees with you. And uh, as you know, people put a lot of trust in economic modelling these days. So, um, of course, whatever we say must be what the future will turn out to be. But essentially, I worked in different areas of, of DEFRA. I worked uh, in fisheries, one of my claims to fame is having been on the front cover of Fishing News. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I also uh, led the analysis in the food policy uh, section of DEFRA and ended up um, running the analytical input in their strategy hub. So I um, led on things like DEFRA's plan for uh, economic growth. So lots of different fascinating policy areas and a really interesting um, place to be involved in. And of course, so many important issues that are being discussed from obviously food and farming and fisheries, but also the environment, which is something that all of us obviously care about and will want to care about for our children and grandchildren. But I can't believe that when you were growing up you wanted to be an economic advisor in DEFRA. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, do you know what? I think... A train driver, tell me, a steam train <laughs> driver. No, no. I, uh, one of the things that I genuinely really considered um, was being a dentist. Really? So... Um, you know, maybe you can see why the appeal of being an economic advisor <laughs> as opposed to looking in people's mouths might, might have ended yeah, up. I suppose being, being in government could be like pulling teeth, I imagine, <laughs> yeah, isn't <exactly>. it? <laughs> 
So where were you brought up? Were you brought up around this part of London? Or? So yes, I was brought up in southwest London. I've lived here um, my whole life and I actually went to university in London as well. So I'm very passionate about London and um, the different issues that we face here. I've got three um, young children, so I'm raising my family here in southwest London as well. And I couldn't think of a better place to be. And your business, you have, you've set up, you set up a business, a veterinary business. So what, I mean, I know what that does, but it, it obviously, it was animals, obviously. But I mean, where, where is that and what does it do? So uh, my husband and I together set up a small animal veterinary business, which um, essentially means dogs and cats and the occasional yeah. hamster and rabbit. Um, which is a great excuse for obviously lots of fun and cuddles with uh, gorgeous animals um, and also a very rewarding business to be in. We uh, set up three clinics uh, across southwest London, including one in Surbiton on Brighton Road. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's been a very enjoyable and uh, positive experience. Afra, you said you uh, worked inside DEFRA, and so I'm sort of assuming you have a sort of environmental interest in some kind. I mean, are you a, are you a swim with the whales or are you a hack through the jungle person? <laughs> Which, where, where do you sit in the environment? What's the... Um, of course, I am really passionate about the environment. I think that all of us really are because it's something that's so important to uh, our own lives, our own health, but also the future that we're leaving to our grandchildren and future generations. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is air quality and it's something that I think that we need to deal with immediately. It's something that you can't see but it's actually all around us and we're breathing it in and it's damaging our health all the time. One of my children has quite severe asthma and so firsthand I've seen the impacts that a, a bad day of air quality can actually kickstart an asthma attack and it's something that is having a huge impact. And we need to be bolder and stronger about the way that we push back on this. It's outrageous that we should be living in a, a city where our health is being damaged every day and the aeroplanes that are flying over us, polluting the excess of congestion. And really this is our opportunity to actually go out there and make a difference and, and be bold and actually try and be a bit innovative and um, lead the way in trying to improve our air quality. And also to take advantage of the opportunities that that can mean for British businesses. There are real opportunities in terms of uh, environmental technology and us having first mover advantage. And there's so much great R&D and in intelligent minds in the UK so why aren't we taking those opportunities, both for business, but also to improve the uh, air quality and the lives? One of my, one of my, one of my colleagues after this week was saying that, because um, this came up at one a meeting that we were at, um, that we seem to spend an awful lot of money measuring air quality, um, when, we, when we know it's actually bad, and less money actually doing something about it. We seem obsessed with the idea we have to measure it. And I just wondered, are there things you can think of that we as a council could be doing? I mean, it's a, it's a tough subject, but it's, um, are there things more that we could be doing as a council? Well, we love measuring things because it's easy yeah. and then we can get answers. But actually, sometimes being bold and making a difference can be the things that seem harder to do. Um, 
as a council or as a country as a whole, we actually just need to start making decisions. And that means, for example, if we are using uh, suppliers or contractors, we should be saying they've got to be using electric vehicles. We need to be pressing TFL to make sure that all of their uh, buses are using the most up-to-date technology. And if we lead the way, then uh, we can hope that other people will be able to follow and it will really mean that that uh, technology will come down in price and be more affordable and attainable for other people. Afra, let's deal, let's deal with some uh, areas of policy rather than um, deal with, with who you are, which we dealt, dealt with. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm promising I'm not going to mention Brexit and I'm not going to cover every area of policy today because otherwise we could be here for hours. So we're just going to pick some random ones. Um, so what about uh, uh, crime, policing? I mean, there has obviously been a rise in crime, um, although Kingston was the safest bar in London, I gather it no longer is. Um, but other things we could be doing around that, or lobbying we need to be doing around policing and crime? Well, we all know that crime's uh, a big issue and there have been increases in crime. I mean, thankfully, Kingston is still a relatively safe place to be and, and we want to make sure it stays like that. And in fact, we want to make sure that people feel that they can be safe and secure uh, in their homes and when they're out and about. So it's good news about the new police funding settlement. I think total funding's up to about 14 billion now. Um, especially given the disappointing news that the uh, Lib Dem council administration have cut the 12 police officers that the Conservatives have been funding for Kingston. So we need to make sure that uh, the police are prioritising correctly, that people feel that there's police who are out in the community, they're building those relationships. And I think that's the key for people to feel secure and for um, messages and intelligence to get back to the police so that they can really be um, more intelligent in the way that they're ensuring safety on our streets. I mean, we're gonna, there's this weird stuff that goes on with the crime at the minute though, because I mean, we've got this new thing of, is it Chileans or some, some South American country, just Chileans, that are sending people across here. Uh, on a plane, doing a whole load of burglaries and stealing some gold and then getting on a plane and going back again. I mean, it's no longer just homegrown. It actually seems to be importing international crime. I mean, I suppose the only thing we can do is try to be vigilant to make sure that we've got consistent neighbourhood watches and that people are taking care of their own homes as much as anything else, because obviously the police are, str are stressed by that. But is there anything else you can think of that we could be doing around crime and uh, apart from lobbying and keeping up with the police, keeping on with the police? Well, I mean, it's a terrifying thought that people could just be flying out over here just to rob our houses and disappear off again. And I think the really important thing is that as a community, we're all talking to each other and sharing information. So that means really within individual communities, of course, uh, using Neighbourhood Watch, but actually using some of the new technologies that we have. Uh, I know that in some areas people are doing things like the shops are uh, setting up WhatsApp groups so that when somebody comes into one store with a fake £50 note or somebody comes in looking like they're going to be shoplifting, they can send that message out to the other, um, to the other shops nearby. And I think really just being better at communicating and ensuring that we're working with the police and the community to actually get the message out there. And then the other issue is really about enforcement. 
because I think one of the real issues now is that the high numbers of crimes that go unsolved and a lot of uh, criminals, unfortunately, I think believe that they can get away with it. And we need to make it clear that actually if you are caught and if you have been committing a crime, you are actually going to face the um, appropriate punishment for it because it's actually the, the fear of the punishment which is what tends to put people off committing a crime. Um, so we need to make sure that enforcement is actually applied appropriately. Have you ever committed a crime? No. <laughs> I'm far too much of a goody issues for that. <laughs> Let's talk about schools for me, because obviously this part of South East London is uh, well known, Kingston Richmond, for the quality of its education. The, the parents that come, parents often move here sometimes to to send their, uh, their kids to school here. I mean, obviously we hear a lot about uh, school funding at the minute and concerns about that. I mean, what's going to be your approach as a parliamentary candidate to engaging with the way? I mean, is it something you feel that you can add value to if you work with the schools? Well, of course, I'm aware of the school funding issues. This isn't just an issue in Kingston. It's something that's happening um, in many different areas. And uh, there's a lot of pressure, especially around special educational needs funding. So, of course, I'm wanting and hoping to work with the schools and to support them and do what we can to try and make the, um, the system work as, as well as we can, because the most important thing is good education for all our children. It's something that, as a parent, I completely understand that is a top priority for people. Good. Well, Afra. Thanks very much. This is only the first of many, I'm sure, occasions we'll get together. Uh, but thanks very much for coming along. Good luck with uh, pounding the streets, and we'll do what we can to help and support you as you move forward. And uh, I hope you have a good Christmas. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And yes, happy Christmas too. Good. I'm now joined by uh, Councillor Rena Bass, uh, who is our Deputy Leader, and we're going to have a conversation about some of the things that have happened this week in Council and things that are to happen next week. We had a full Council meeting this week, and um, one of the issues that we discussed was a motion put forward by the Liberal Democrat uh, administration around local plan consultation. Uh, to be honest, it didn't really say very much, uh, and that was part of the problem with it. It was just kind of saying that they're going to consult and engage and work with people. Um, uh, there was a bit of a, a bit of a line about not wanting to play party politics, which I think I think Rena we'd all admit is probably a bit of a cheek. Considering yes, no, no, I mean I'll come in that. I was <laughs> I was quite shocked actually that they started off like that on such an important thing, and certainly my co colleague councillor. Um, David Cunningham got um, was very disappointed about that because it's something that he he's worked long and hard on for many, well for many months, many years, and it's a big thing to him, and uh, and the motion um, left out a key bit of information because when the Conservatives were in administration um, to challenge the mayor's plan wrote a very detailed cross-party letter to the Mayor of London setting out all our concerns, and that was a key plank, really, and that was left out. And, um, and the Lib Dems did, um, did, did um, agree to that. Where, where I think we all agree with them on is that um, the Mayor is proposing a target for housing in Kingston, which I think is about 1,300 homes, a bit more than that, a year, being built, which we all think is absurd and is just not going to happen. So I don't think there's any doubt that we all agree that's the case. 
but they seemed to want to start to have a pop at us over playing party politics with mm. this, and uh, which I don't think we're doing. What we're pointing out is that they have yeah. issued a long list, a long list of sites, some of which will alarm people, yeah. um, when they probably didn't really need to do that. Well, I um, think it was very good that um, that we did put out that information because I think people should be aware what is on that list for calls mm-hmm. for sites. It doesn't matter where it came from, but people need to know about that. But certainly one of my concerns, um, sort of in the area of the Kumera I live in and represent, is that under the local, under the mayor's proposed plan, could be that um, normal Kingston houses, semi-detached houses, could be knocked down and um, block, small blocks of flats put there, which would, which would fundamentally change the nature of Kingston. So we're going to fight against that with everything we've got for sure. Sure. And uh, there's another opportunity to hear some stuff about that, which is next week on the 20th at 7.30, because some local residents have called in the Lib Dems' uh, proposals around consultation of the local plan. So there's an opportunity to uh, either tune in online and see it live, or even turn up to the council meeting yourself. If you, if you feel that you can't get enough of the council on the run up to Christmas, then, then that is the date you could do it. The other thing that came up this week was um, an attempt by the Liberal Democrats to um, implement a new scheme for compulsory purchase orders. So these are homes or businesses or uh, buildings that are in the way of development or regeneration usually big infrastructure things, pop projects, um, that allows a council to compulsorily purchase it without the permission of the homeowner. So the homeowner gets paid for that. Um, Traditionally, this is a decision taken by four councils. Every councillor gets a say on it. Um, There was a proposal that this got delegated down to a committee. Um, and certainly residents, again, were very concerned about this, about what this might mean. We were very lucky. We managed to move an amendment on it, and uh, the Liberal Democrats have pulled back from the brink on that and uh, have agreed that actually we should continue as it is now so that every councillor gets a say. Yeah, no, I think that is really important. That, you know, if someone's having their home compulsory purchase, that that it does go to full council. I mean, I think it is very rare, and it's it hasn't happened, I think, since... It's about... Th- I th- I think it must be about 30 years, although I'm told there was one particular thing, but I think the biggest one that we all remember was about 30 years ago yeah. when they when they put in the relief road around mm. Kingston, um, which is now coming to be the end of its life, to be frank. We're going to have to do something different soon. But uh, that, that had a lot of compulsory purchase yeah. that went ahead. I mean, that's right. It doesn't happen very often. Um, but it is such an important issue to those people that um, that we felt, and I think it's quite right that we agreed in the end with unanimous support um, mm-hmm. for our motion across the council. So that was a good moment. Um, um, so this will go to full council. I think that's very important. So that was a good amendment that we made. Nothing else at the moment, is there, Rowena? I don't think that's been a quiet week apart from the one council meeting this week, so it's not uh, too much going on as we run yeah, down to Christmas. Yeah, no, it has been quiet. I mean, there's been busy stuff in the ward. I think I had a Christmas lunch with um, the reception class at the uh, Robin Hood Juniors, where mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a governor. Um, meetings at the hospital, where I'm also a governor. So busy ward work, but... But apart from that, so I think we could just wish everyone a happy Christmas, couldn't Absolutely. we? Definitely so a happy Christmas, and you're all vel- very welcome to come on the 20th to scrutiny if you fancy seeing us there. OK, bye. <laughs>
Um, be interesting to get his take on how he sees Kingston now he's travelled and no longer a councillor. But we'll see how we get on with that. But uh, look forward to uh, being with you next week. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.